is a joy and honor to share God's Word with you this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, that's what we'll be this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 557. 557. If you do not have Uh, a Bible, we would encourage you to not only use that Bible this morning, but please take it home with you uh, and enjoy God's Word as much as you possibly can. Uh, As we uh, spend some time uh, over the next several weeks in God's Word, we're going to kind of be bouncing around a little bit, Uh, and this morning we're going to, in the season of Thanksgiving, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 103, specifically verses 1 through 5, and then beginning uh, next Sunday through uh, January the 1st, we'll do a, an Advent series uh, just uh, with the great anticipation that we have with the Lord during Christmas and everything leading uh, after Christmas as well. Uh, before we begin in God's Word, uh, let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the Word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you that your Word from beginning to end is one amazing story of redemption, of how our perfect God created a perfect world and perfect people. And yet, in the midst of disobedience and sin and turning our back on you, you have continually, time and time again, have been faithful to the unfaithful. And Lord, that promise that you made all the way back in Genesis 3.15 of sending uh, someone Uh, to rescue us, to deliver us from our sin and our separation from you, and to save us ultimately from the wrath of God. That promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus when Jesus was born uh, almost 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that the story of redemption was plan A from the beginning. We thank you that by grace through faith we are saved and we get to enjoy that relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that no matter what happens in this world, absolutely no matter what happens in this world, Lord, nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And Lord, we thank you for the amazing promise that you are coming again. Lord, not as a baby born in a manger, but as the righteous judge. And Lord, we, those of us who are in Christ, get to spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, thank you for that gracious gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we... Uh, turn to Psalm 103 this morning. Uh, Psalm 103 is an interesting psalm because uh, we really don't know the occasion for why it was written. Uh, We know that in Psalm 102, uh, it describes a picture of tremendous suffering and despair. Uh, But in Psalm 103, there is no Uh, correspondence on why it was written. But what's amazing about Psalm 103, from Psalm 103 to Psalm 106, uh, we get uh, just amazing psalms of praise. And so though the circumstances may not be completely understood in Psalm 103, we can 100% with a surety say that the focus of Psalm 103 specifically is about worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning and and begin to unpack it. And hopefully it will uh, remind us of how uh, blessed we are as uh, God's people. The psalmist writes in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits 
who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. One of the most important things that we see in the beginning verses here is that this psalm of praise is extremely personal. The psalmist begins in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And so we know most, most scholars will say that this psalm was written by David. And so David, right out of the gates, is making this psalm extremely personal. He is not bringing this before the congregation. He is bringing this before himself and the Lord. And notice that there is no worship choir. Praise God for that. There's no praise band. There's no dimming of the lights. There's nothing here except for what? David's cry to do what? To worship the Lord, to sing praise to the Lord. He, he says that all that is within me, with every fiber of my being, David is crying out, let me express worship and thanksgiving to the Lord with my soul, my mind, my heart, my strength. The Lord, the great I am, Yahweh, the question is why? Why is David pleading? Why is he with great intentionality crying out, Oh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Well, we get an indication of why in verse 2. The scripture says, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, David suffers for, from what you and I often suffer with. Uh, we forget Right? We forget the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. All of us face the temptation of spiritual forgiveness, forgetfulness. And this isn't new. Uh, you go back to Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. In many ways, Adam and Eve forgot, right? They forgot what God had already declared over them, right? You fast forward in Israel's history, and because of disobedience, God's people were led uh, into captivity to the Egyptians. And, and when God uh, delivers them out, what does he tell them? Over and over and over again, do not forget who has delivered you. When he uh, gives instruction to Moses on that preparation that is happening before they enter into that promised land, over and over again, God reminds his people through Moses, don't forget who's going to be blessing you. Don't forget where these blessings come from. And we'd like to think that with all those reminders of not forgetting, they didn't forget. In fact, when they enter into the promised land, the book of Joshua tells us that God instructed them to take 12 stones and to build a monument in order to what? To remember God's faithfulness so that when they saw it or their grandchildren saw it, they could explain the faithfulness of the Lord. Fast forward hundreds of years and God's people, because of disobedience again, they're now in captivity, not to the Egyptians, but to the Babylonians, right? And God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and he, he tells uh, the prophet Isaiah to, to remind the people of who has delivered them. Right, this isn't an Old Testament problem, right? We know in New Testament we see the same thing. Uh, you look at uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, when uh, that circular letter is going out to the seven churches. Uh, the church there in Ephesus. Remember what the scripture says to the church in Ephesus. Remember from where you have fallen, right? In other words, you have forgotten. And what was it that they've forgotten? They had forgotten their first love. 
In fact, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, God in his wisdom structured it around one amazing word. As we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. But this idea of forgetfulness isn't so much about the mind, right? It says so much more about our heart. The heart has the tendency to drift from remembering and living in all the benefits and blessings that God has declared over us. To the battle and conflicted heart, David cries out, in the midst of the routine of life, the disparity of life, the conflict of life, at the very depths of who we are, bless the Lord, O my soul. And what David does in the rest of Psalm 103 is he lists out over 15 spiritual blessings. Uh, We're only going to look at verses 1 through 5. But I would encourage you that sometime today, sometime over the next week, uh, read through the rest of Psalm 103 and just see the spiritual blessings or benefits that we have because of the work of Christ in us. So we're going to look at the first uh, five verses or unpack just the first five uh, this morning. The first one is this, that, that he forgives me. Listen, we should never forget the fact, again, this is very personal, we should never forget the fact that God forgives me. That's where Paul, uh, David goes in the first part of verse 3. He says what? He says, who forgives all your iniquity. The word forgives means to pardon or to cancel out a debt, to satisfy a punishment or to take something away. And here's what we know. We, all of us, have what? We have fallen short to the glory of God. We have fallen short in both action and inaction, and yet God does what? God declares over you and I the blessing, the spiritual blessing that we are forgiven. What a blessing it is to know that though we deserve sin, the, the wrath of sin, God declares us what? Forgiven. So much so that David writes in verse 10 of the same chapter, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, you and I, we get cut off in traffic and we want to hammer the person, right? And yet you think about the list of sin that we have, the action and inaction, and yet God says, I I do not treat you according to your sin, but according to what? My holy name, my character, right? David writes in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us where sin once separated us from God now in Christ we are united with him forever and he has taken our sin and separated it uh, separated our sin from us for eternity man praise be to God for that the word in the Hebrew for forgiven is in the continual continuous action meaning that that God continually forgives us right that means that all of our past sin all of our present sin all of our future sin is forgiven in Christ. All the small stuff, the big stuff, the stuff that people know about, the, people, the stuff that nobody knows about except for the Lord, the very fact that God no longer holds our sin against us. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 43, verse 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Now there's two phrases in Uh, verse 25, that are important for us to understand. The first one, he talks about the fact that that God blots out our sin. 
Uh, it's a legal word. It means to expunge, right? That, we have a record, right? But when God looks at that record, guess what? It's wiped clean. I mean, some of us want that because we've sped too much. We got too many tickets. We want somebody to expunge our record, right? But in Christ, our record has been expunged. It has been wiped clean. And then the scripture says, uh, he will not remember our sins. Now, this is begs a theological question. Is it that God forgets? Is it truly that God cannot remember? If that's the case, we're in trouble because God knows all things, right? So how do we define forgetfulness? Or that he does not remember. Uh, he, it, it's a word that describes that he chooses not to bring up your offense any longer. So yes, he knows, right? But the very fact that he chooses not to bring it up any longer. God no longer sees us according to our sin, but according to Christ's perfection. And that's a beautiful truth. Now the question is, how is this possible? Well, Paul writes about this in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He says, And you, speaking of all of us, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, he wiped it clean. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So how is it that God wipes out our sin record, and he not only expunges that record, but he no longer brings it up anymore. He nails it all to the cross, right? Where his one and only son died. At the cross, where Jesus died for our sins, we have by grace through faith been given a certificate that says what? Forgiven. A certificate that, first, that says forgiven. This means we no longer have to live under the weight of trying to pay God back, Right? Think about that for just a moment. How many of us uh, have sin in our life, either in the past or the present, and, and we spend so much time and energy trying to pay God back for what we've done wrong? Listen, we cannot pay back what Christ has already paid in full, right? The cross screams loudly, it is finished. It is finished. And you and I stand today, hopefully at the depths of our heart. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. The second spiritual blessing that David unpacks for us is uh, the fact that he heals us. The Lord heals us. Uh, he says in the second part of verse 3, who heals all your diseases. Uh, the word heal here means to uh, restore, to repair, uh, to make whole again. Now the question comes up, is the scripture here talking about uh, physical healing or is it talking about uh, spiritual healing or is it talking about both, right? Uh, and if we're not careful, we focus so much of life on physical healing, right? All of us want physical healing in life, but that's really not our ultimate need. Our ultimate need is spiritual healing. And so, yes, there's evidence all throughout scripture that Jesus can heal the physical body, right? But this passage is talking about the spiritual the very fact that God heals us spiritually. Uh, the scripture talks about diseases. Uh, the word diseases uh, refers to uh, sickness. And you and I know that when we uh, give in to our sinful passions of the flesh, it causes great spiritual sickness, does it not? Our souls are afflicted, right? Our souls are afflicted when we're living in the sins of the flesh. 
that great conflict that happens within us. And the very fact that God in his grace not only forgives us of our sin as the righteous judge, he also heals us as our great physician. And David knows this very well, right? David is writing a very personal uh, song here. Uh, We know from scripture that David committed uh, tremendous sin, right? He uh, sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba's husband. uh, He uh, committed murder, uh, deceit, lying, manipulation, all those different things. Uh, But we also know that David, in the midst of all that, he tried to keep it to himself, right? He tried to hold on to all those things uh, and, and some, uh, we know it was at least a year. Some say it could have been 18 months that David tried to suppress uh, his sin. And we get a picture of uh, David's uh, need for healing in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, the scripture says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Praise be to God. But now why is David praising the Lord for this. Listen to what he says in verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heart, or by the heat of the summer, Selah. So he's pausing and he's thinking about how blessed he is for the fact that God has not only forgiven him, but he has healed him. Right? So for that period of time when he chose to keep silent, when he chose not to confess what God already knew, right? The scripture says that his bones were wasting away. His hand was heavy upon him. His strength was dried up. And that's exactly what happens to us when we are living in sin. And yet God in his grace not only forgives us of sin, when we turn to him, he heals us from that sin. David experienced the healing hand of the Lord. But we must never forget That the spiritual healing that God gives us didn't come without cost. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Through the very wounds of Christ, we are spiritually healed. In other words, with each lashing of the whip on our Savior's back, Spiritual healing is offered to you and I. To the disease of pride, spiritual healing is offered. To the disease of lust, spiritual healing is offered. And what I love about the word healing, just like the word forgiven that we just saw, it's in the continuous action as well. That God continuously, continuously, with spiritual blessing, he's wanting and desiring to heal us. Now think about the reasons why God wants to heal us from our sin, right? Not just to forgive, but to make us whole, right? One of the reasons is so that we will begin to live the life that Christ desires for us to live. 1 Peter 2 says it like this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, right? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Peter is quoting directly from Isaiah 53, verse 5. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As the shepherd, not only has Jesus given his life for his sheep, he is also seeking out his sheep, right? He's pursuing them. Why? Because he wants to heal the wounds. And he's the overseer. He watches over us. He cares for us. So you and I, as we think about 
when we confess our sin to the Lord, it's not just that He's going to forgive us. Praise be to God for that. We stand forgiven forever. But guess what? He wants to heal us. He wants to repair us. He wants to restore us. He wants to make us whole again. And so like David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. I am healed. I am healed. The third blessing that David speaks of is the fact that God redeems me. He redeems me. He says at the beginning of verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. The word redeem means to, to buy back, to rescue, to deliver. And just like the words forgive and heal, the word redeem is also a continuous action, meaning that God continually does what? He continually redeems us. And David says he continually redeems your life from the pit. The, the word pit refers to uh, destruction and corruption. Yes, it's true that God redeems us from death itself, right, and brings us to life. That's what we just witnessed when we were talking about baptism, how it's a picture of uh, our old self is dead in him, but our, our new self is also alive in him, right? But think about redemption for just a minute. The word pit talks about corruption, and destruction, and this is exactly where sin leads us, right? When we're living in sin, we're on the pathway to where? Corruption and destruction. And yet God in his grace, because of the spiritual blessing of redemption, he delivers us from the pit. The psalmist writes in Psalm 56, verse 13, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So David expresses this tremendous gratitude for redeeming me for death, but he also says what? I need you to redeem me for life. That, that on this journey of life, that every step I take has the potential of either following in line with what God desires for me or going in a different direction. And, and David cries out that what? That I want to walk before you. I want my feet to be secured on the rock of Christ. And the very fact is that you and I are tempted every day to fall back into sin. And, and I think it's right there that we don't recognize our daily awareness of a need for redemption to be delivered from the pit of sin you and i we're so self-sufficient aren't we and yet we forget that that every conversation every open door every click on the computer everything we do has the potential to lead us to sin that's how temptation works and yet david cries out i don't want my feet to fall anymore Think about how foolish we are when it comes to our feet falling away from the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalm 107, he says this, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because their iniquities suffered affliction, they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. In other words, in our foolishness, we do what? We turn to the things of the world. That's what the psalmist is writing about. He talks about how we, we go to everything we can eat, right? Right? We go, it's like the buffet of sin is before us and we want to try everything to see if it will satisfy us. And yet, when we turn to the things of the world, the only thing that he equates to is the affliction of the soul. But the very fact is that our story's not done, right? What does God do? Verse 19, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. The Lord doesn't leave us in the pit, right? 
He sent out his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So God redeems us from our foolish ways, right? How many of you can say, praise God for redeeming me from my foolish ways? Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 1. He says, uh, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, foolish ways, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The very thing that God cherishes the most, his son, he chooses to give it to us. The shed blood of Jesus gives us the, the ability to experience not only redemption from the pit of death, but the pit of destruction and corruption itself. So what is your pit today? Really, there's two main categories of the pit of destruction and corruption. One is self-righteousness. The other is unrighteousness. You see, some of us live in the pit of a checklist of re religion. That I have to do all these things in order to be right with God. Listen, that leads to a pit of destruction and corruption. Why? Because you're always trying to get the upper hand, right? And then we think about unrighteousness. Living however you want. Both of those are pits. And yet God says in his grace that I redeem you from the pit of self-righteousness and unrighteousness. The very fact that it's not just the one who's addicted to pornography that is living in destruction and corruption. It's the, it's the one who thinks that their religious works make them more right with God. That's living in destruction and corruption. And yet we're reminded, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Fourth, David talks about uh, the spiritual blessing that he crowns me. He crowns me. Uh, I love this one. Uh, the scripture says in the second part of verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Uh, the word uh, crown, we think about, you know, a king being crowned. Uh, but really, the, the, the word for crown in the Hebrew is talking about something that is surrounding you, something that is circling you, right? And just like uh, the other words, forgiven, healed, and redeemed, the word crowned is also in a continuous action voice, meaning that God is continually doing what? He's continually crowning you. He's continually surrounding you. He's continually circling you. And what is it that he's crowning us with? The scripture talks about steadfast love and mercy. It's talking about dignity. It's talking about value. It's talking about purpose. And where sin tries to rob us of our dignity and favor before God, God seeks to continually, intentionally, intensely crown us with highest honor. Think about steadfast love for just a moment. It's the Hebrew word said. It's where we get uh, the New Testament word grace from. God's covenant love for you. Unconditional love for you. That's what he's circling you with. That's what he's crowning you with. It, the scripture talks about uh, mercy. Uh, the word mercy speaks of God's compassion. Some of your translations may say tender mercy. Man, what a beautiful translation that is. That God circles us. He surrounds us. He crowns us with compassion. So grace is what? God, God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, God withholding what we do deserve, right? And so he's surrounding us with grace and mercy. I can't think of a better picture of this than Luke 15, right? Most of us know uh, the parable of the prodigal son and how uh, the younger son uh, wanted his inheritance uh, before his father's death. And, and so basically he says, 
Father, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I wish you would die now so I can get all that I can get. Uh, he gets a third of the estate, and he goes and he squanders his, his life in, in unrighteous living, right? He, he burns through all of that stuff, right? He has nothing. And the scripture is very clear. He's literally in the pit with the pigs, right? And then by God's grace, he comes to his senses, recognizing all the things that he left, right? It wasn't worth it, right? The pit of destruction. And so he says, I'm going I'm to return back to my father's house, not as a son, but as a what? As a ser- if I can just be a servant in my father's house, I'm better off than I am uh, right here. And so we'll pick it up there in Luke 15, verse 20. Uh, the scripture said, and he, speaking of the younger brother, he arose and came uh, to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and notice the actions of the father, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, which probably was the robe that he actually wore, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, the signet ring that that says that I'm a part of this family, and shoes on his feet. Servants didn't wear shoes. Only the people of the household wear shoes. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Think about this. Every movement that the father made was to do what? Was to crown him with steadfast love and tender mercy. The very things that his younger son forgot about was the very thing that he was crowning him with. He crowned crowned him and surrounded him with steadfast love and tender mercy. That's why David writes in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is a reminder to us that when we're examining our lives and we recognize uh, how, fall, how far we fall short, and for some of us, it's you're in the car ride home and you're just gripped over your sin. Or maybe for others, it's you're sitting at the edge of your bed and you're contemplating the, the night before and you're recognizing, man, I am so far away from my father. Or maybe for you, it's that moment in the mirror and you recognize, man, I am, I'm so far from my Father. The very fact that God crowns us reminds us that the Father's heart for you as his child is to surround you over and over and over again with steadfast love and tender mercy. What a beautiful picture of God's spiritual blessing over us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I am crowned. I am crowned. Lastly, David speaks of the fact that God satisfies me. He satisfies me. David closes this section with these words in verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The word satisfy means to nourish, to, 
to replenish. And just like uh, those other words, uh, forgiven, redeemed, healed, uh, crowned, uh, the word here for satisfy is continuous action again, that God is continually doing what? He's continually satisfying you. You know, God not only satisfies the mountains with rain, he not only satisfies the the animals with food, but guess what? He satisfies you with what? The scripture says with good. The word good reminds us that everything that the Lord does, everything that the Lord gives, even everything that the Lord withholds from you is ultimately for your good. The psalmist writes in Psalm 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And yet, what do we find ourselves in life when we forget the spiritual blessings of the very fact that God satisfies us? We find ourselves chasing far lesser things, right? You know, when you think about uh, John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the will, she came thirsty, right? Not satisfied. And yet, she met Jesus face to face. And Jesus says what? From this will, from this will, you will experience living water, living water. And you will never thirst again. In other words, you will always be satisfied in me. And that's exactly what she experienced. And yet, we choose to go to the wells of the world, right? That only at temporary at best bring about some form of satisfaction, but we're never truly satisfied. And what God's word is teaching us with no apology at all, with 100% certainty, that when you delight in him, you will be satisfied. The psalmist writes in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word delight means to take pleasure in. A grateful, thankful heart is the key to delighting in the Lord. Now the scripture talks about you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, this is far greater than your 401k. It's far greater than the square footage that you live in. It's far greater than the the car that you drive, the diploma that's hanging on the wall, the approval that you seek from other people. This delight is far greater. The desire of your heart is far greater than your 401k. Do you recognize that today? The desire of your heart is far greater than the approval of the person sitting next to you. And yet God says, when you delight in me, you will be given the desire of your heart. And what's the purpose of this? The purpose found in second part of verse 5 so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle is a symbol of strength and vitality. And guess what? Just like the eagle, we weather storms in life, don't we? And what's interesting about the eagle is uh, those, those, the, the, fed, the feathers that he has on his wings that were once perfect and shiny and beautiful because of the storms of life begun to be battered and torn. And, and what happens is the eagle begins to shed or what's called molting those feathers and then those feathers grow back and guess what they're beautiful again and and the picture is here that though we face trials and affliction in life the very fact that we stay satisfied in the Lord guess what he like the eagle will restore our strength in other words he gives us strength for every season right every season bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the Lord oh my soul and forget not all his benefits. I am satisfied. Listen, these are the spiritual blessings that God has declared over you as his child, right? That I am forgiven, that I am healed, that I am redeemed, that I am crowned, that I am satisfied. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize, you know what, I I have forgotten those spiritual blessings. And because of that, I've, I've wasted a lot of time. Listen, 
You know what God can do? God does the impossible. He redeems lost time. Do you recognize that? Uh, to the prophet Joel, he speaks. Again, God's people had experienced uh, four years of, of no harvest, right? And yet, through the prophet Joel, God says these words in Joel 2, 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. In other words, some of us can buy that new TV again, or that new car again, or that new house again if it gets messed up. But the one thing we cannot do is do what? We can't redeem lost time. Once time is gone, it's gone. Yet God says what? I can do the impossible. And so my question for you today is, will you remember? And will you receive? And will you live in the spiritual blessings that God has for us as his children? When you do that, guess what? God will, God will restore twofold, if we use Joel as the example, twofold all of that lost time. But it starts with a heart of thankfulness. The psalmist writes in Psalm 50, verse 23, and this is where we're closed. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Will you offer an offering of sacrificial thanksgiving to the Lord today? The very fact that God has blessed us mightily, spiritually, is, is that what you're living in today? Is that what you want the next generation to know? The spiritual blessings of the Lord. And as the warning had gone out to the saints in the past, the warning goes out to us. Do not forget. Do not forget. Whatever your decision is today, I'll be up front. I'd love to pray with you. The altar will be.